Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. On the program today, Dr. Rob Lindstead continues his look at what's next in Bible prophecy, and Pastor Larry answers more of your Bible questions. The Central Florida Prophecy Conference takes place this Friday and Saturday, January 28th and 29th in Lakeland, Florida. Visit swrc.com and click on Events at the top of the homepage for a complete schedule and list of speakers. The Central Florida Prophecy Conference, this Friday and Saturday in Lakeland, Florida. Register for free today by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or visit swrc.com. Staff evangelist James Collins welcomes author and Bible teacher Dr. Rob Lindstead back to the program to continue their look into answering the question, what's next in Bible prophecy? As the world continues to get worse and worse, one thing is clear, Christ's return is drawing near to us. Joining me again on the Watchman on the Wall to discuss what's next in Bible prophecy is Dr. Robert Lindstead. Dr. Lindstead, is the executive director of Sunrise Christian Academy in Wichita, Kansas. He is also a well-known Bible scholar, prophecy expert, author, and longtime friend of this ministry. Today, we're going to continue talking about his DVD set, What's Next in Bible Prophecy. Dr. Lynn said, welcome back. Thanks for being on again with me. So glad to be back with you, especially discussing these items of what's next on God's program. I think this is the best way for people to really get caught up and understand the scripture and get excited about the fact that Christ could come back at any time. Well, we were talking about the tribulation yesterday, and I wanted to ask you this question. I recently reread Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins' set of books, the Left Behind series. Now, I really enjoyed that series of books, but one thing bothered me about it. The books tend to make people think that they can just wait and get saved during the tribulation. So that's what I want to start out with today. Can a person get saved after the rapture during the tribulation? Well, the Bible says in Revelation that there is going to be a multitude of people that are saved. But I think people really have put themselves into a very difficult situation if they say, I'm going to wait for that. Mm -hmm. So let's examine what the Bible says about those who do come to Christ. I think it's going to be primarily Jewish people. Right. The Bible states that Israel, among the Jewish people, that two-thirds will be cut off in the tribulation. It will be a horrible time. But one-third will come back, they'll be refined, and they will see who the true Messiah is. And so we know that there will be that multitude of people that will come to Christ. In Revelation chapter 7, in verse 9, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, palms in their hands. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb. So we know that those people will come to Christ. People might say, well, I'll just wait until then. But I, along with you, take exception to what was presented in that series, because I think that's a very insecure path to go on. Here's why. When we come to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, I believe in this chapter 2 there's something that's really important because it talks about in chapter 2, verse 1, by our gathering together unto him. I think that's the rapture of the church. 
And then in chapter 2, verse 3, it begins to talk about, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come the falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed. And so in this portion of Scripture where he's talking about the Antichrist being revealed, which last time we established that has to be the tribulation, Revelation chapter 6, the tribulation starts with the unveiling of this Antichrist. And it goes on to say, in chapter 2, verse 9 of Thessalonians, it says, Even him, whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, and then that perish, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. In other words, they had the chance. They knew the gospel. They knew the claims of Christ. But they did not receive it. And because of that, here's what it says. God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. That they all might be judged to believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Today, there are people that will even come to me to confidence and say, you know what, if I see that you're raptured, I'm going to get saved. And I tell them, I think that's a risky position. Because the Bible says that those people who know that Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood, rose again, and refuse to come to him as Savior at this day and time, when the age of grace is here, I think they're going to be the first to believe the lie of the Antichrist. You see, Satan and his false trinity, that would be Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, they're masters of deception. And they're going to blind the eyes of people, the minds of people, and the hearts of people that say, I'm going to get saved when I see people after. No, they're not. The Antichrist is going to come out with such a lie. And that lie is described in Revelation chapter 13. It's going to be a lie because they're going to think this person is pointing away to a good future. It's going to be a lie because they don't want to think that they missed out on heaven. And so many of these people who have heard the gospel, some of them are sitting in churches today, and some of them are intellectual debaters that that they like to debate every new theory that comes out, but they've never made a personal acceptance of Jesus Christ. I do not think that they will be saved in the tribulation. I think they're lost forever. Because, here's what the Bible says, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. They knew the gospel, they rejected the gospel. I think those that will get saved, Revelation 7, will be those people that this will be brand new to them. They're going to say, wow. You mean the Bible talked about that? Wow. And I think those people will be able to receive Christ, but I don't think millions of those sitting in churches who said, I'm going to put it off, I'm going to put it off, I'm going to put it off, I don't think those people are going to come to Christ. They're going to believe the lie. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth, and Satan is the lie. And they're going to fall for the lie. Wow. Dr. Lynn said, what is the purpose of the Battle of Armageddon? You know, when we come to the Battle of Armageddon, again, the scripture is so clear on why this is such an important plan of God. And so what I like to do when I look at this Battle of Armageddon, I say, okay, here's going to be the point. Number one, it's going to stop the invasion of the nations into Israel, Zechariah chapter 14. And this is going to defeat the Antichrist. It's also going to reveal to the world where true believers are. You see, believers in the rapture, they've disappeared. And now they're going to come back with Christ. And we're going to be revealed with him as he comes back to stop the invasion of the nations against Israel. If Christ didn't come back at just the right moment, 
Israel would be destroyed by the invading nations. Matter of fact, I look on the borders of Israel today, I look at the Russian army, I look at the, the Syrian army, I look at the buildup, and it's so incredible because, you see, that's exactly what the Bible says will take place in the last days. And we're watching it take place. And if there's anyone who doubts that Russia would invade Israel, look what Russia is getting ready to do in the Ukraine. They're getting ready to do the same thing. They're desirous for power. They're desirous for more land. They're a nation who's bent on conquering. And believe me, when they're done right in their own region, they already have troops, they already have tanks right on the border, on the northeast border of Israel. There are Russian tanks there at this very moment. And so the Bible says, Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, that there will be an invasion that will come out of the north. And so the purpose of the Battle of Armageddon, at just the right time, Christ comes back out of heaven with the church. He's going to put his feet on the Mount of Olives. He's going to split it too. And when he does, he's going to open up that east gate that's been sealed for all these years. The Bible said it would be sealed until the time that the Messiah would come back. I think he's going to establish his glory again on the Temple Mount. I think he's going to go north down the valley that we call the Kidron Valley. He will join the Jezreel Valley. And there he will establish his glory. He will defeat the Antichrist and the nations that come against Israel. And when he's done... Everyone will know he's the conqueror. He's the Lord of lords. He's the king of kings. And this battle of Armageddon, it will be the final doom of the Antichrist and his false trinity. You and I have both been to Israel, to the Jezreel Valley, the Valley of Megiddo. And the Bible says that after the battle of Armageddon, the blood will be as deep as a horse's bridle. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that's going to be literal. And I'll tell you why. Several years ago, I remember being with a group of individuals who, who had something called a war notebook. And in the war notebook, it, it had the approximate size of armies. And we just simply took those sizes, who, you know, let's say that they're basically right in terms of the, how big the armies are. And we just took those nations that we know would come against Israel. And we just said, okay, let's just say that half those soldiers die. And now let's take the amount of blood in the body of, a, of any soldier. And you know what? The blood right there in that valley could be up to 18 feet deep. And so to be up to the bridle of a horse is very possible. Isn't it amazing that somehow or another, with all the AI and all the weapons that we have today, it looks like that battle is going to be pretty primitive. And somehow it's going to be invading on horses, maybe because the Antichrist doesn't want to ruin the crops that are there, or who knows what reason. But I know this, the Bible even said that in that day that the birds will come and they'll feed on the carcasses of the horses and the horsemen and the kings that come against them. And so today, what's amazing, I even have an article in my file that talks about the Israeli government and they talk about the fact that a half a billion, with a B, half a billion birds fly up and down the Megiddo Valley every year, twice a wow. year, as they migrate from Africa back up to Asia and Europe. And of all places, they go right through the Jezreel Valley. And matter of fact, I was just in Israel several weeks ago, and it was incredible to see all the birds that were there. And I remember talking to the Jewish guy that I had and said, you know, this is what the Bible says. And she says, you're right, the Bible does say that. And she was amazed because the Bible states specifically in Revelation 19 that when this 
invasion occurs and God stops the invasion, that God will call upon the birds of the air to feed on these bodies. And we were sitting there. We were actually visiting Megiddo on that day. And we couldn't get over the fact that there were so many birds flying up and down the valley. Matter of fact, that's where the basic, the main military air base in Israel is. And again, I have another article that talks about that sometimes during the spring and sometimes during the fall, there's a two or three day time period when they can't land or take off a jet in Megiddo Valley where the main air base is because there's so many birds that fly up and down and the birds have damaged and taken out more Israeli warplanes than all the air forces together over the last 30 years. The Bible is coming true exactly as it says, and it was penned 2,000 plus years ago. Amen. God's Word is so amazing. My guest is Dr. Rob Linstead. We're talking about his DVD set, What's Next in Bible Prophecy. This is a great Bible study. Dr. Linstead looks at six coming prophetic events, the rapture, the tribulation, the battle of Armageddon, the millennial kingdom, the great white throne judgment, and the new heaven and the new earth. This would be a great personal Bible study. You could open your Bible and study along with it, or it'd be great for a small group study or Sunday school class, and you can get a copy right now by calling 1-800-652-1144, or you can order online at swrc.com. Dr. Lynn said, let's move on and talk about the Millennial Kingdom. Millennial means a thousand years. That is a literal thousand years, isn't it? It sure is. And I like the fact that the Bible is very specific about that being a particular time frame, a thousand years, because as I look at that, there's a couple things that are important. Number one, sometimes people have the theory that maybe the book of Revelation was completed in 100 AD. In other words, that Nero was the Antichrist and so on. And, and I'm sure in the, the preterist point of view is what it's called. But when people say that, I say, okay, so where was the thousand years of the millennial kingdom? And it's interesting because then they begin to say, well, maybe there wasn't really a thousand years. I say, well, then when do we have that peaceful time when the lion laid down with the lamb? And when so many of the things that the Bible said will be fulfilled in the millennium, when is it going to come? Because it talks about how that Israel would be regathered to the land. And it talks about the blessings that God would put in the land and how the nations would be separated, the sheep nations and the goat nations. And so in this series, we're going to talk about that and show that, again, this is one of the great proofs of the Bible. I think another thing that I really enjoyed studying and putting into the series was the point of view of the fall to the cross. And the item there is the altar. Everything was pointing forward to the cross. Mm. And then when you come to the millennial kingdom, Everything is really pointing forward to the eternal kingdom of God. And you look back then, and from that eternal kingdom of God, and you come to the revelation when he comes back and he reveals himself for who he is. So when you divide this into these segments, one of them is a prophetic ministry. That's from the fall to the cross. One of them is the priestly ministry. That's from the cross to the revelation. And one is the kingly ministry. That's from the revelation to the eternal kingdom. So there he is, this prophet, priest, and king. What are the three great symbols? Well, number one is the altar. It was the altar coming to the cross. Between the cross and when it's revealed, I think it's the communion table. He said, take this bread. It's a picture of my body that was broken. Take this cup. It's a picture of my blood that was shed. And then when you come from the revelation to the eternal kingdom, it's the throne. 
we're going to see him as the king of kings. And so again, the Bible fits together so incredibly well. God has a great plan. And as I see these kinds of things, I say, my, I'm so glad it's God's plan and not my plan, because I thrilled when I saw how the God had revealed that and put it into his prophetic lessons that we have recorded in the Bible. Dr. Lynn said the Bible teaches that Satan will be bound for a thousand years during the millennium. After that, he'll be loosed for a season. Why is Satan loosed at the end of the millennium? Well, I think it's to show that it's not our environment that is contaminated. You know, Adam and Eve, they had a good environment. They sinned. And again, we're going to find that after the millennial kingdom, it's hard to believe, but there are still people that need to say, Jesus Christ really is my Savior. Jesus Christ really is the sinless one who bore the sin of the world. And so the devil will be right back in the same business of deceiving people. And he's going to try his best to deceive people. And so he's released. And it's going to show people, okay, it's your heart. It's not your environment. It's your heart that's the problem. And so then God will say, okay, Satan, you've done all the damage you can do. And so the prince of the power of the air will be destroyed. The prince of peace will be enthroned. And so those two will have this battle, the battle that I call it the battle of the ages. And at that time, once God subdues him again, then we're going to see how wonderfully the world will operate under the guidance of God without the presence of Satan. I want to talk about the Great White Throne Judgment for just a minute. There are two sets of books at the Great White Throne Judgment. What are those books? Well, one is the Book of Life. And anyone who's accepted Christ, thank God their name is written in the Book of Life. And and what a, a thrill to be able to say, I've accepted Christ as my Savior and my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And the other is the book, it's actually a series of books, it says books, plural, and it's our deeds. The truth is, there's no deeds that we can do to merit eternal life. And so everybody whose name is not in the Book of Life, well, they're going to be judged by their deeds, and their deeds are never going to be good enough to save them. And so, actually, our deeds, both good and bad, would condemn any person. And every person not found in the book of life, their books are going to be open. They're going to be judged for their works, for their motives, for their language. All that they've done, never good enough to save them. And they will be judged at the great white throne judgment. They'll be sent into hell to have a companionship with the devil and the fallen trinity forever and ever. I can't even imagine a person wanting to do that. I think the most frightening scene in all the Bible has to be the great white throne judgment. Where people will see... God the Father and all of his glory. They'll see Jesus Christ is the risen, slain Lamb. And they will not find their name written in the book of life. They'll be judged on their own merit. And there's no person who has the merit to gain eternal life. What a sad time. I think it also talks about a time when those who receive the mark, these are people in the tribulation. And when they receive a mark based on Revelation chapter 14, they're going to be judged forever. I think that will be recorded in the book of deeds that they've done. They took a mark that was against God. They defamed God. And they chose an antichrist. And they will be judged. They'll be sent to hell forever because of that choice. The DVD is called What's Next in Bible Prophecy. It's an amazing teaching DVD. Dr. Rob Linstead is the teacher. Dr. Lynn said, I really appreciate you and your ministry, and I know that you have more great teachings in both book and video form. 
So I hope you'll come back very soon on the Watchman on the Wall to share with us again. I'd be glad to. I'm always excited to see people that want to study God's Word and especially want to understand things concerning the plan of God, what's next. Today we are excited to offer Rob Linstead's DVD teaching series, What's Next in Bible Prophecy? Seven lessons on two discs, over three hours of timely teaching that answers the important question, what's next? Order your copy of What's Next in Bible Prophecy by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online, swrc.com. Pastor Larry is here now to answer some more of your Bible questions. Pastor Larry, does unbelief limit God? In Mark chapter 6, verse 5, Scripture reports that Jesus could do no mighty work in Nazareth except to heal a few sick people. Verse 6 says Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. The thought that there was something that Jesus could not do seems to limit God. Can man limit God? If we believe that man can limit God, isn't that demeaning and insulting to God? Doesn't it make man greater than God? In order to think biblically about this issue, we need to remember that there are some things that God cannot do. Titus chapter 1 verse 2 says, In hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. We can trust God's promises, and we need to have faith in God's promises. If God could lie, then we could not have faith. There might be a promise that we need to latch hold of, and yet Satan could tell us that God is a liar. This means that God's limitations are not bad but good. The fact that God cannot lie is encouraging. God cannot redefine himself. In the Bible, we learn that God is the self-existing, eternal God who exists from age to age. He never had a beginning, and he will never have an end. God will not decide to change that definition and will himself into non-existence. God is immutable. That means he is unchanging. Now, friends, we live in a postmodern age, one in which modern man likes to redefine things according to human whim. In 1949, George Orwell's dystopian novel, 1984, hit the market. The main character, Winston Smith, brings upon himself the rage of the ruling elite by insisting that 2 plus 2 equals 4. He would seem to be on good grounds. Doesn't 2 plus 2 always equal 4? Well, don't be so sure. Winston Smith changes his mind because of pressure imposed upon him by the ruling elite and comes to admit that 2 plus 2 equals 5. Today, the party of the ruling elite in America claims that it is the party of science. That sounds good. We all know that science is scientific and that rational creatures should always abide by the results of science. Don't be so sure of that. The so-called party of science now believes that there are dozens of genders that a man can menstruate and get pregnant. Some of that party argue that the statement 2 plus 2 equal 4 is a racist statement invented by imperialists and colonizers. So the fact that God cannot lie and that there are some things that he cannot do should be very encouraging. Any limits that God observes are limits that God has placed on himself. No one has forced these limits on God. 
When God decides that he will not bless human unbelief, that is his decision. God is sovereign. He takes orders from no one. He has made the rules, and he is abiding by the rules. Many who boast in honoring the sovereignty of God do just the opposite. Their view of divine sovereignty limits God by their definition of divine sovereignty. They ignore the fact that God's administration of the universe is far more nuanced than they want to admit. Is God limited by human unbelief? Yes. God will not do what he doesn't want to do, honor unbelief. We have time for one more question. Pastor Larry, what is replacement theology? Replacement theology is the view that the church is the new Israel. It is sometimes called supersessionism because national Israel is said to be superseded by the person and work of Christ in the new community of God's people, that is the church. We, of course, do not hold to replacement theology. But what are the origins of replacement theology? Well, there are several factors that contributed to the development of replacement theology in the early church. First of all, there was growing animosity in the early Christian community against Judaism. The Jewish religious leaders strongly opposed the teachings of Jesus, who seemed to be bent on exposing the Jewish religious leaders to ridicule. Furthermore, the teachings of the Apostle Paul on grace seemed to be a total repudiation of Judaism and everything associated with it. Two Jewish revolts, one in the first century and another in the second, in which Gentile armies savagely slaughtered Jews, seemed to indicate that God had turned away from his chosen people. It seemed as if he was establishing a new Israel, one that was not related to ethnic Israel. This provided Christian apologists with much ammunition to use against Israel and to claim that Jews were being punished for their rejection of Jesus Christ. Secondly, there was a growing animosity in rabbinic Judaism to the early Christian community. The success of the early church in reaching both Jews and Gentiles and bringing them together caused dismay in the Jewish religious establishment. And the Apostle Paul championed the cause of Gentile freedom from circumcision and the observance of Jewish holy days. Devout Jews were finding it increasingly difficult to accept those who believed they had no obligation to observe the rituals on which many Jews put so much emphasis. And there was another factor that should be mentioned. Jewish Christians refused to take part in the two Jewish revolts against Rome, one in A.D. 66 through 73, and the later one in A.D. 132 through 135. Jewish nationalists looked on Christians with disdain. It was in this tumultuous environment that the allegorical method of interpreting Scripture became very appealing. Words were given a meaning other than what they literally signified. Israel could cleverly be understood as meaning the church, and God's promises to Israel could be understood as God's promises to the church. Once the allegorical method was applied to prophecy, literal Israel was cut out of the scripture. Rob Linstead's DVD teaching series, What's Next in Bible Prophecy, is now available. Seven lessons on two discs, over three hours of timely teaching that answers the important question, what's next? Order your copy by calling 1-800-652-1144 or order online swrc.com. Tomorrow, James Collins and Larry Spargimino look closely at the book of Revelation. 
Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Thank you.